This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Running this show, we get emails all the time uh, from people asking questions, uh, saying, oh, I want to start a garden. Where do I start? I want to get chickens. Where do I start? I want to get cows. Where do I start? And one of the questions that I get a lot, and I see a lot, we have a survey that people fill out. I've seen it there. I see this question all over in the homesteading world. I want to be 100% self-sufficient. How do I do it? And I always kind of laugh a little bit because I don't know why they're asking me that. I'm definitely not 100% self-sufficient. Nowhere near that. But if you research, if you read back at the stories of homesteaders way back into the 1800s, where the whole homesteading, where the word came from, that whole movement, uh, the westward expansion in the American continent, uh, the people who packed up everything they had and you know sold what, whatever they had out east, got in a wagon train and headed out west, lived off the land, had animals, built their own log cabins, even those homesteaders when you read their stories or you know if you watch a documentary about them whenever you're learning about them you'll notice something even those homesteaders who were going out into the frontier a brand new place you think they would be all alone but even those homesteaders weren't a hundred percent self-sufficient they were not doing this life that we're all trying to live even a little bit they were not doing it alone. The idea of 100% self-sufficiency, I like to call it a myth. Because even someone who's growing all of their food, you probably can find somewhere on their homestead some sort of outside help coming in. Whether that's in the form of shared labor, if that's in the form of building materials, fuel. Think about the fuel that people are using. Even if they're burning wood for heat, what are they using for their cooking oil? Well, maybe they're using lard. Are they using solar power to run something in the house? They probably didn't make their own solar-powered cells. 
The idea that we could do this 100% on our own, it's very, very unrealistic, especially for most of us. And like I said, here at our homestead, we are nowhere near 100% self-sufficient. So how did the homesteaders back in the 1800s do it? Well, they had a community. They had a group of people who, like them, decided to pack everything up and head out west. I talk all the time about the Little House on the Prairie series. All the time when you're reading through the Little House on the Prairie series, we read it with our kids, you'll find Pa and Ma going into town to pick up supplies. It's not often. They didn't go to town frequently. A lot of times they were living far away from town. But it was a special trip because they had to get things that they just couldn't grow themselves, like sugar. (laughs) They'd go into town, they'd pick up supplies. Or you read about Pa trading labor hours on one farm with the harvest so that another guy would come and spend some time on his farm helping on his harvest. The point is, homesteading is always going to be better. It's going to work better. You're going to do better if you surround yourself with a community to help you do the things you need and that you can help do the things that they need. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We have a very special guest Nicole Sauce from the Living Free in Tennessee podcast joins us. If you know anything about Nicole, you know that, uh, well, first off, she's a serial entrepreneur. She's got all kinds of different projects going on. And uh, Nicole also has surrounded herself with community in the world of homesteading. We're going to learn about physical community and digital community, which is something that I value really. If you look at the business I've built with homesteading, not only physical community but clo- you know around you but also that digital community is very very important uh, so nicole is here to talk to us about that along the way i'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about roasting coffee and some of her other different enterprises that are going on in her homestead uh, so nicole welcome to homesteady well thanks for having me on nicole i've been looking forward to having this discussion i know uh having listened to you in different podcasts that you've been on and your own podcast Uh, You and me have a lot of similarity. Um, Why don't you tell those in the audience who don't know anything about you, uh, maybe haven't heard of your podcast before, uh, tell us a little bit about your homestead and and how you got started. It was a complete accident. I had no intention to become a homesteader when I became a homesteader. But I lived in Nashville, and I worked at a public policy think tank and found myself coming out to the same place in the state of Tennessee to go swimming in a lake or go paddling. And I, I decided, you know, it'd be nice to have a little piece of ground where I can put my tent up and spend the weekend at the lake and not have to rent anything. So we looked at a whole bunch of different places and I found this place, it's a little over three acres. It was listed as land for sale because it looked like a cruise missile had hit the side of a cinder block building. And they were like, ruins of walls sticking out broken glass everywhere <laughs> garbage all over the land and i was like i, I kind of like it here and, uh, <laughs> that was like, great i can camp in that outbuilding the outbuilding was a house when we went inside it had it had everything and we spent the first year just trying to figure out it had pipes like how to get the water through the pipes from the pump house and uh, what started as just a weekend getaway within six months, we moved here. And then of course, the next thing that happens when you're on the land is you're like, Hey, maybe I should raise some chickens. And so raised the first back of ch- batch of chickens. I'd always been into gardening and really got deep into preserving food at that point. And it just, it, it went from 
a, a weekend getaway to I never want to go back to the city and let's see how much value we can get from this little piece of land we have right here. I so love that's, that. That's the Holler Homestead. <laughs> so you found this place that looked like a bomb had gone off and it called to you. You thought, yeah, this is the right spot. Yeah. Uh, at the time, what was your life like? What were you doing, you know, career wise when you found this place? I was working first for a nonprofit think tank, which does uh, liberty based policy reform and transitioned from that to running my own nonprofit, which put me on the road a lot. So I think there, there was always a tension in about the first 10 years here of I'm on the road, but I have animals and and my Zen is just uniting with the land and connecting with the land, but I'm out trying to fight these policy battles, which is soul sucking, by the way. <laughs> and it's really like once you realize how politics really work, you have it on a logical level. But then once you get in there and start doing it, oh, it's just soul sucking. <laughs> and for somebody who has pretty much a positive outlook on life, it's very hard. And eventually I made the decision not to do that. So the early years, I was just not here a lot. And I thought a lot about homestead automation and implemented it poorly. Mm. It's a lot better now. But I always felt like I didn't have enough time when I was globetrotting. I remember uh, when we were in the transition period, we'd built up our first farm back in Connecticut. I was commuting. I was working construction. And all the money in Connecticut is in the southern part of the state, and we didn't have much of it. So we lived in the northern part of the state, which meant my daily commute was just hours, hours. Uh. And that time just driving from the, the homestead where I'd wake up at five in the morning to do the chores and enjoy it. You know, that that was the thing I liked doing, being outside with my animals. I remember thinking about all that time spent away in the car and just wishing like, oh, man, I wish I could get back there. And I know so many people in our audience uh, and watching this video later probably feel that same way. What's happening now is I run a coffee roasting business that's been growing. Uh, my podcast has has gotten a lot larger as well. Both of those things are bringing fina enough finances in to cover us here. And then I'm able to take that extra time and grow and preserve food. I have neighbors who are really good friends and they we all work as a community together. We all live near each other doing that. Yeah, that's one of the things that I found so interesting about your story um, because I think one of the big things that makes homesteading more and more difficult for people in our time period is that isolation from other people who are like you. And I think it's a reason why homesteading is so much more popular on the internet. <laughs> because I remember when we got started in Connecticut, Connecticut is not exactly known for its, you know, homesteading lifestyle. <laughs> We stood out like a sore thumb. It was a very strange thing to be doing in Connecticut. Now, we moved to a town where farming was more friendly. Uh, yeah. The taxes were less on farmers. The local, uh, you know, the zoning regulations were much easier. And that's why we moved to that town in Connecticut. I still at the time had to work in Connecticut. I was still a construction worker who had to work, you know, locally. Uh, but we moved out of one town where it was just impossible. You could own two acres and you couldn't have a chicken with two acres. Uh, so we moved out of that town to this other town. And there on that street, we did have our neighbor across the street who was a farmer. Now, Nicole, uh, here at our homestead, we are big meat producers. 
we Good. we produce uh, you know we do our own chicken we do our own pigs we do our own cows we do our own pretty much everything we eat everything but the camels uh, there in Connecticut across the street was a vegan farm so they were not exactly uh, our <laughs> equals but we were able to help each other out a lot and that was like a little micro community there me and that one neighbor across the street uh, you have done something that I think is just really, really smart. You've built a homesteading life kind of surrounded by other like-minded people. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your holler homestead and, and who's around it. So when I first started homesteading here, I was certain I was on this new concept that nobody had even thought of, of like <laughs> modern homesteading. And I was starting this whole project and I never finished it. And I was pretty isolated. I'd been here maybe two or three years before I found other people who liked to grow food like I did, who weren't just conventional farmers, right? And so... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That set me on a path towards starting the podcast. The podcast for me was a creative outlet to get, get it out because my job was not creative. And I'm a creative person. And that started bringing like more like-minded people just digitally to interact with me. And as things grew, as I decided to, to stop doing the corporate work so much and start really focusing on building as much self-reliance in my life as possible, both on the income side by running my own businesses and on the food production side and, and getting value from the land, a couple of people popped in and, and would start hanging out here. And then they'd come here for a couple of weeks and camp on my property. And next thing you know, one of them rented the place next door and another one popped up. And, and what that ended up with is that we have four households now all living next door to each other. And we all are of a similar mindset. Each of us have different skills, though. And so we're just honest about what we're best at. And we work together on projects on people's properties to try to help everybody do better. Some of us work offsite and, and earn money. And so we're helping that person more on, on the stuff here because we're here during the day. And then, you know, that's the person you call if you actually need something from the store on the way home. So you don't have to leave and go to the store. <laughs> I love that. Because one of the things about being on a homestead, you, see, you start learning how to only go to the store once a month. Yes, if yes. If you do it right or... You know, when when the shutdowns happened, I was like, well, I wonder how long we can go. We went about <laughs> six weeks and, you know, I was really missing chocolate by the end of that. But Ooh, it was yeah. fine. Yeah. I would have been fine. Uh, we got plenty of coffee. So you know, <laughs> you're good. <laughs> uh, dairy is our weak point. But yeah, there's a dairy farmer nearby who I know now. So <laughs> we're good to go. So as that community grew, it really has, as you were saying in the introduction, there's a very strong digital component where we have lots of people in the community talking to each other, helping each other. I like to call them a community of doers, which means they do things. They don't just critique things and complain about things. When we get into a complaining cycle, I usually slap it down and say, okay, but what can you do? 
And uh, the other community members who have been in the community a while have gotten, they see that and now they do it for me. I don't have to do it at all. And what that means is we're always looking for, but how can we be better? How can we help each other? How can we really, how can we just get one little thing done today that moves us one step further rather than worry about what happens if I'm wildly successful and have to fulfill <laughs> a bunch of orders or, you know, all of that that nonsense that's important to deal with when it happens. But if you worry about it prematurely, you're just wasting time there and you're not building your life. There is so much, so much good advice there. Um, so many different points we can touch on. First off, I better write them down so I don't forget them. But first off, <laughs> I really like how you used a digital platform, a digital lifestyle uh, to gather a tangible community. I wanted to ask you, um, having named your podcast specifically Living Free in Tennessee, were you trying to find people locally, what wound up happening, bringing people locally that uh, wound up actually creating this community locally? Were you trying to do that with your podcast or was it just you're in Tennessee and, and that happened? What was the idea behind that? It was the second one. It was probably the biggest marketing mistake I've made <laughs> in the history of the podcast is naming it Living Free in Tennessee because it rhymed and I'm a musician and I'm like, sweet, Perfect. I didn't know it. Oh, man. Uh, so some people don't, they'll tell me two years in, hey, I just listened to this for the first time and you don't have to be this in Tennessee oh, to like man. it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I need to rename the podcast. So then I tried to get Living Free podcast, but somebody else has it. Uh, so I decided what I'm going to do is bulldog through that. And at, as I've gotten, you know, on, so I joined a podcast called Unloose the Goose recently, which is a bunch of liberty-minded podcasters together. That's sort of has really propelled us over the geographical line and people yeah. are starting to understand the name is that I'm in Tennessee. Yeah. The hard part's going to be if I move. Oh no. <laughs> Which is not in the offing, but like I'm going to build the life I want to live on my terms. And if Tennessee is not the place, yeah. then I'm going to be living free in Tennessee and Arizona. Oh right? man. That, yep. Okay. <laughs> I think we Hopefully have some people watching happen, from Arizona but... this morning, so uh, yeah. maybe you get some connections there. Yeah. Well, when you you started forming, so you made this digital this digital um, community first, right? You started the podcast; yeah. it attracted people, and you started a podcast. But as you mentioned, uh, you, you talked about with a podcast comes a website. Others who are watching, if you don't like the idea of podcasting or if it sounds too complicated, it's not the only way to form a digital uh, community. Uh, but you started this digital community and then you brought it into this local lifestyle. And you talked about how everybody that's now part of this local community, they all have different skills. I've heard you talk about before, uh, Nicole, uh, just one of the barter systems you do with, with the hunter, right? You have somebody on the, in the community who likes to hunt. How does that work? I have a friend who likes to hunt. He does not live in the four neighbors, but he likes to come over and eat some good food and have some good coffee. And he's a musician, so he plays country music. Great musician. And he has flowed in and out of my life for years. So he'll go live in another state and come back. He's just a nomad. And what I've found about interacting with people in a community is if you have an expectation for them, that 
undermines your community. If you accept them as they are, and if you if, like love the input they give for what it is, you have a much better chance of having a strong community. And so he's the nomad. He's the one that you don't hire him for a year to do something. You hire him for a day. And, and he has like, he has just finished a goat fence for me that might actually keep my goats in for the first time. In, I'll like, believe it when years. I see that. I know. Well, <laughs> first thing she did was get out. We had to rerun the wires, but she's been in for like three days now. Oh, that's great. okay. That's yeah, a start. I know. Like hardcore goat success in, in, the, in our world here. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, my goat gets out and my house is built into the side of the hill. So the next thing she does is get on my roof. Oh, man, you are not the only person I have heard goats <laughs> on the roof stories from. Uh, honest, I've heard many of those. And one time she jumped off the other side of the roof and I thought she broke oh. her leg, but she didn't. But that, that's why I'm scared is she's going to jump off the other side and I'm going to have a broken leg goat that I actually oh, friends. No. She's not a meat goat. <laughs> I mean, she would be a meat goat probably at that point. But oh. uh, so... So what I do with him, he loves to fish and hunt, but like, here's what happens. I'll be sitting there having morning coffee. You know, I have my day planned. I like to, I like to have my three things that I'm going to accomplish for the day. And he walks in and he's kind of dripping hay because he was just in another farm. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm bringing hay in your house. I'm like, that's okay. What's up? He said, do you have a meat grinder? And at the time, what I had was the attachment for the KitchenAid, oh, which yeah. if you've ever ground meat with that, takes forever and is oh, infinitely yeah. frustrating, but you use what you have, uh -huh. right, to get what you can. And I said, yeah, what's up? He said, well, I just I just uh, shot a deer, and I've, I've got it all pieced out, and I need to grind the meat because I don't really want to deal with cutting it up and packaging. And I said, how about this? you'll have to take my KitchenAid and the grinder to your house. Why don't you bring the deer here? I'll take some of the meat and I'll get you steaks and we'll do ground and I can cure some of it. And we'll just do this trade. And he was like, he was like, great. Cause I want to go hunting some more and I don't really want to process <laughs> this thing. And so we worked out a deal. I have an outdoor refrigerator for events. He quarters the deer and skins it, puts it in there, oh, man. tells me it's there. And then I get some of the meat and then he comes back and gets his butchered meat. And that's how we had venison all winter. I love that. That yeah. that idea of finding things. And you, I think you've mentioned it before. You're not really a hunter yourself. No. So I, this... If I have to try to hunt, I will try to hunt. Sure. But I find no desire to go sit at a tree freezing my butt off at four in the morning with a gun waiting for a deer. That just means you don't have enough... Uh, four-year-olds running around your house but anyway yeah, it's true i do not have any four-year-olds running around i my have house. so many four-year-olds so i love sitting in a tree at four in the morning <laughs> and fishing's the same way i get bored like uh, i want to go swimming i want to go kayaking i want to play in the water i don't want to like no but if, if i don't catch it's not fun you just want to go catching yeah I, want, I do like catching catching is fun I like what you said about not having expectations, and I want you to elaborate on this a little bit, um, because I think as we're talking about forming this community, we're we're not talking about uh, starting some like uh, cult off in the woods where you all believe the same things and you all do the same things. Um, what do you, as far as the differences and the similarities, when you're putting together a actual local? kind of homestead community and again some people might actually form this like you did where they happen to be your neighbors others might just be forming groups that you know help out on chicken butcher day uh 
Does everyone have to believe the same politics? Like one of the biggest problems that we're having as a nation from a communication standpoint is if you don't believe the way I do, you're a piece of crap. You're not only that, you're evil and you have evil intentions. Yeah. The majority of people around us do not have evil intentions with their political opinions. We have been so manipulated to fight with each other that we don't actually see where the pressure is coming from now. And so in the group, we, we've, we're learning to agree to disagree. Sometimes things flare up, of course. And the, the expectation is we can talk about anything or we can agree that that's something we shouldn't talk about, but I'm still gonna love you for your contribution. Yeah. And the key there is everybody has a contribution to give. If you come to the community and take, 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 people are just going to stop talking to you. There won't be a big dramatic you're kicked out. They'll just stop <laughs> talking to you. But if you come with a, a, a pure heart, basically, of I want to, you know, I want to see what I can learn from this. I want to contribute what I can contribute to this. People will embrace you with open arms. And, and I think having that standard and sticking to that standard. And then if there's drama, getting the drama out has been what's made our community a lot stronger. Plus we like hard work. And so we, we schedule weekends at each other's houses. Some of them not in the state of Tennessee, mm. right? We've been, we've been to Missouri to do this. We will leave the state to do what we call GSD weekends, get stuff done. I'll say stuff on your podcast because you know, <laughs> it's not the word we use, but, um, the whole point is somebody has a water line to put in or a greenhouse to build. If we all show up and do it together, it's done in a day. If they have to do it by themselves, it'll take a month. I feel like that is one of the reasons why for brand new homesteaders, brand new like homestead dreamers, people who have found a YouTube channel or a podcast and are like, this is what I want to do, but they have no family who does anything like this and no friends, that is what limits them in such a huge way. I look at when we started, um, I grew up in the suburbs. I never shot a gun. I never butchered or killed a fish. I always caught fish and butchered fish. So somehow fish never count. I was like, oh, I never killed an animal, but I killed a ton of fish. Um, but I, other than fishing and, and eating my own fish, I had never butchered animals. I never had a garden. I was totally green to this lifestyle. My wife grew up on a farm, not a working farm. It was just, uh, you know, they had livestock for fun. They had chicken, you know, chickens and eggs. She had a couple goats. So she was more used to it. Uh, her brothers used to shoot guns and go hunting. So she was more used to that lifestyle. But I was very fortunate when we started homesteading. My uh, father was a master carpenter. He can build anything, give him some wood and a hammer and some, you know, a saw and he can build anything. So although I didn't have a homesteading background, and neither did my father, and we had to build a chicken coop, he was there to help me out with that. Uh, and then in the construction world, I had friends who were masons and plumbers and all the things you need when you, when you wind up buying a piece of property where a bomb went off. Our house was in good shape when we bought the farm, but our outbuildings looked like a bomb went off. It sounded very similar. And having someone who could help, I mean, we re rebuilt a barn from scratch from trees that grew on our own property. I could never have done that without my community, without my, my father, other family members and friends. I had a buddy who was a landscaper who helped us fell the trees, and then we took them to the sawmill, which was on the road, and that community formed. And then we did business with farmers locally, and that brought in more contacts and more knowledge and more things. So if someone 
is starting green, Nicole, and they just don't even know where to go locally. Um, any advice to someone how to start building this network, maybe on the digital side, maybe on the local side, where can they find like-minded people? And especially that point you made about not just taking, how can they form a true community where they are part of it? I think the first step is, A, start learning plumbing and electrical. You're going to need it. So if you have nothing better to do at night and you're bored, start watching YouTube videos about plumbing and start fixing your own plumbing where you live now when it breaks. Because when you get to the homestead, it's very hard to get somebody out there to do those things. And if you are tapping into your own water source, for example, that is plumbing and electrical. And electrical scares people, but it's not that scary if you learn about it. And then, of course, if you have contacts like you do, that's great. Secondly, to find the community, go to your farmer's markets and start talking to those people and just get to know them. Don't ask anything. Just get to know them. If there are classes offered by homesteaders in the area, take a class. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not so good. That's just the way it is. But what happens at those classes is you get to know people who are also interested. And then you start building those relationships from a digital side there are so many communities you can join digitally and some of them are geographically bound some of them are not but even just interacting with your community right that you have from from your project um in the home study community talking to people there is starting to build your community and then ask questions and then show pictures of what you're doing when you try to do it i really think homesteading is a mindset and not a piece of land when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And the mindset is learning to look around and figure out how to take a little chink out of what you're dependent from an outside input, whether that be growing herbs on your windowsill in your kitchen, a container garden on your front step if you have one, all of those indoor lettuce growing. I have an indoor lettuce growing operation I use here because lettuce grows poorly in Tennessee in the winter. All of those things are one less input you need from outside. And as you get into those projects and share them, you're going to naturally meet people. I think one of the biggest problems that people have when they try to quote unquote build community is they're trying to build it rather than let it build itself. And so getting too worried about how to do that rather than just start going out and talking to people is, is you know, the, the biggest flaw I see. Because if you sit at home and worry about it, you're not meeting people. And the challenge with community, especially for those of us who are more introverted, and you may not know it, but I'm an inter I'm a huge introvert. Uh, <laughs> I have these events here and I love it. And then I like close my door for a day and say, nobody talk to me for a day. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm going to read a book. Um, you know, when you're introverted, it's easy to stay home, but you need to get out and talk to people, yeah. whether that be online or not online. Nicole, when someone's going to the farmer's market and they're there, look specifically with the idea of, of you know finding more like-minded people any advice for them on how to interact with the people at the booths how to 
um, you know, wind up making contacts with farmers that actually are, are a, a give and take and a valuable connection there. Don't move too fast. So a lot of people are really super enthusiastic to say, hey, I'll come out to your farm and help you with harvest. Every farmer who hears you say that has had somebody come out and help with harvest that was a nightmare, mm-hmm. right? It's, it, so when you're harvesting, you also don't want to kill the plants that you're harvesting from. And people who haven't harvested before sometimes do. And it can be a lot more work to have somebody help you harvest than to just harvest. So I see a lot of people enthusiastically offering help. Uh, I think a better approach is just talk to them and ask questions, buy some stuff from their booth, come back the next week, tell them what you thought of it. If what you thought of it was it was poopy flavored cucumbers, though, don't tell them that. (laughs) If what you think is their stuff's too expensive, don't tell them that. That's not building a relationship. Give it an honest chance. And I think over time, what happens is like any friendship, they'll just you'll start talking back and forth. Something farmers do love is I bought these blueberries and here's some jam. So the other thing is you can say, this is something I made. Tell me what you think of it or that sort of thing. And that sort of starts an exchange over time. From there, what happens, and this is what I do with my my, uh, contacts at the farmer's market. I used to sell coffee there. That's the first way Holly Roast Coffee got started was at the farmer's market. I made hardly any money doing it because it's a terrible place my market is a terrible place to expel to send, spend uh to sell coffee that you know to a community of people who pay for Folgers because it, mm. it's a premium product mm-hmm. and it's a premium price so i had some customers that would come every year but what i got there was relationships with the other vendors so then if they had a surplus of tomatoes they couldn't get rid of i said hey i'm willing to take that and can that and then i would either get a really good deal or they would trade me, you know, half the product canned for what I'm doing. So I think it's just a matter of don't push too hard on those relationships because what you're going to find, and I think this is true among homesteaders and farmers, we tend to be a little more reserved about relationships because relationships are time and our time is limited like everybody else's. But I think you feel it a lot more strongly when you know if I spend three hours talking to this person, that's three hours I didn't spend weeding that hill right outside my window, which needs weeding or or building something else at home. And so when we give that time, it takes us a little while to go beyond surface conversation. Nicole, you mentioned your coffee and you said way back at the beginning, part of how you've built this life was by uh, finding ways to have value on your homestead. Tell us a bit about the coffee business and uh, what's going on with Holler Roasts. Oh, well, gee, thanks for asking. <laughs> I I love coffee. When I moved to Tennessee, the best options I had were Starbucks and Starbucks. <laughs> and so I would fly home to Portland, Oregon. Um, and at that point, this was home, but I called that home in my head to visit family with an empty suitcase. And I would buy a bunch of coffee and I would check that bag and I would have coffee. <laughs> One day I ran out of coffee and there was no trip scheduled. And I went to the store and I bought Starbucks from Walmart, which is the stalest Starbucks you can basically get is if you get it at a grocery store. Cause by the time it gets there, it's been sitting around a really long time. And I thought to myself, self, I wonder, I wonder if one could store green beans longer without them going stale 
then roasted coffee beans. And I did some research and they store a year or two, depending on how you treat them. And then I thought, self, why don't I try roasting it? So I did. And I did it while my partner was asleep. And I made all of the fire alarms go off because it's really smoky. <laughs> <laughs> but from there, I, I went from a cast iron skillet to a popcorn popper, like one of the kettle corn ones, to a rotisserie I put on a grill, to a small home roaster. And then I did some presentations on how to have a great side income from roasting coffee because people locally were buying my coffee. And the jump from home roaster to commercial roaster is pretty big financially. And I said, I'm never going to do that. I said it in a group of 80 people. And as the words were coming out of my mouth, I realized I am going to do that. <laughs> so way back when it was about 20, 2017, I think that I launched a campaign to crowdfund by pre-selling coffee, my first commercial roaster. I caught my roaster on fire last month because I'm running it from seven in the morning till about nine at night. Some days I'm like, I'm past capacity. And when I got it all fixed from that event, I realized that I'm going into Christmas and I decided to do another crowd crowdfunding effort to do, to get a bigger roaster. So we have launched a website called kickstarthollerroast.com where you can pre-buy coffee and other perks to help me be able to get this roaster that's in Kansas. It's actually, we've made our first goal and we're into stretch goals now where um, we help fund a commercial grinder and the venting system I have to put in. Like once I get to this size roaster, I have to have a whole new electric service put in. And um, so we got to the first benchmark, which is the roaster and we're doing stretch ones over at kickstarthollerroast.com. It's been an amazingly fast experience. When I did my goal, I thought maybe I'll make it. We made it in 48 hours before I had officially launched. And that goes back to community. That's the thing. I, I knew I had a strong community, but when I just told a couple friends like, hey, I, I'm doing this on my own website because Kickstarter has declined my project as against their terms. And I can either redo my whole project according to their terms, or I can build my own website. And I prefer to control my marketing and my messaging. And I want to tell the truth about what we're doing. Mm. I don't want to lie on Kickstarter, right? And I told a couple of friends, I said, well, you know, I know you're going to give, like, go for it. And that way I know if anything's broken, I'll hear from you. Well, it went from zero to 10,000 in 48 hours. My goodness. From people. And that, I think for me, it was a really hard lesson because the way I see community is what can I give to the community and the community gave back. And I think it's been it's been a, like it's been really exciting, but really hard for me to accept how much they were willing to support me in this project. And um, I mean, that's I think that's the hard part when you get into a strong community is learning how to accept that they are going to give back to you no matter what at some point. And um, and that was my my lesson there. Such good advice here, Nicole. If someone is interested in helping out with the Kickstarter, uh, they don't get like a postcard from you. What do they get if they contribute? Well, if you hate coffee and you want to support me, I have a $20 I love tea entry level. It does have <laughs> caffeine in it. Um, coffee is the pit of a fruit. And we roast that pit. The fruit makes a really good tea. It's kind of like dried sour cherry tea. No way. 
and it's tasty. So that's the I Love Tea. Uh, we have one called Twin Perks, where you get two pounds of coffee. And from there, we go to a tasting kit, which is a cone pour over and a trio of coffees to taste and then a guide on how to taste coffee. All of it, I, I wanted to anchor everything in value for people. So if you look at the perks, you'll see that you're actually getting something for it. It's not just like, give me money. So uh, it, it all uh, ties in so perfectly with what we've been talking about, Nicole. H- a homestead, you said it way back at the beginning, you, you started early on just finding ways to have value there on that homestead. And having that value, sharing that value has built you a very supportive community and is continually growing that community. Uh, you have given so much to them. And now here, when you provide value for them, they are there to support that project. So many good lessons, good business lessons, good homesteading lessons. I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing all that with us. If any of our audience watching right now uh, want to follow you or anybody who's watching later on the replay on YouTube or listening to the podcast, where can they find you? Where can they find your Kickstarter? Uh, let us know where to find Nicole. Well, the easiest way to find me is to go to livingfreeintennessee.com, which is my podcast website. And there are links there to other places. Kickstart Holler Roast is my crowdfunding campaign for the coffee. Hollerroast.com, you can just buy coffee. So those are, the, those are the three fastest ways to find me. And then from there, of course, I'm on Facebook and other social media, YouTube, um, MeWe. I'm trying some of these alternative ones because Facebook kind of looks like it's about to melt down. I don't know if that's true or not, but you got to have a backup plan. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, we will add all the links to all those, Nicole. If you enjoyed this episode, there's an extended version of this in the Pioneer Library where Nicole went more in depth about how to actually start a podcast. You put that link in Blueberry and it syndicates it to a bunch of places. And then make sure your podcast is set up on iTunes and Stitcher to start with. We also talked a little bit about Nicole's journey to becoming self-employed from home and how you can get your employer to allow you to work from home more. Uh, Any advice on how to uh, approach your employer, pitch your employer with the idea that, hey, let me work from home. Most Again, most are, but how maybe let me continue doing this when things go back. Uh, Any advice on how people can get their employers to loosen a little bit of that grip so they have more freedom. If you want to get the extended version of this podcast and all our podcast episodes, become a Homesteady Pioneer by clicking here. Don't forget to check out Nicole's YouTube channel, which I'll link to right here her podcast, Living Free in Tennessee. And if you're a coffee lover, go check out that Kickstarter. Help her meet her ultimate stretch goal. I'd love to see the Homesteady audience support that. Check out Nicole, all the things she's doing. You won't regret it.